Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. When I look at artificial intelligence, clean energy, gene editing, and so many other technologies on the horizon, I see great reason to be optimistic about humanity's future. But because of both the COVID pandemic and a longer-term stagnation, many people are pessimistic about what comes next. So today, I'm speaking with Eli Dorado to explore how policymakers can encourage innovation in order to push our future in a positive direction. Eli is a senior research fellow at the Center for Growth and Opportunity at Utah State University, where he focuses on technology, innovation, and economic growth. Eli, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Jim. Uh, if one would go to your personal website, and I hope I, um, I hope it's not weird that I did this. I, I love the how you intro it because you. I think this sums up who you are. I think uh, it says, "My fondest wish." is that GDP per capita would reach 200,000 by 2050, $200,000. To get there, we yeah. need lots of new hard technology. And inevitably that hard technology is gonna be deployed in highly regulated industries. I try to stack the regulatory deck in favor of new technology and the economic and social change it brings about. So that's your forward thinking, future oriented person who thinks tomorrow can be better than today, maybe much better if we do the right things. Yeah, before absolutely. Before we get to the future, yeah, before we get sure. the future, I want to take I want to take a step back, and I and I, and I hopefully we can we can bring this back around. But given that you're given that you think you know we can do a lot to make make the world better than it is today, and you know we don't have to be have a great stagnation. If you were someone who was an adult in the 1960s uh, and you had this set of interests, and I transported you to 2020, would you think? Yes, everything worked out great. All my dreams have kind of happened. Or do you think, what happened? The future I imagined, you know, uh, in the 60s, we didn't get it. Wh which of those do you think you, it would be more likely oh, to be it, your reaction? Amazement at what we've achieved or disappointment at what we didn't achieve? You know, I think overall, it would be a, a major, major disappointment. Uh, you know, the, the bright spots, of course, everybody notes is like uh, the internet, smartphones, uh, price of television sets has gone way down, you know, but none of that is, um, you know, the, 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 a lot of the consumer uh, sort of electronic stuff, you know, that doesn't, that's not really the big component of, of a, a huge ma massive component of welfare. And so, you know, things like, you know, transportation, the first flight of the Concorde was in 1969, but today we don't have supersonic flight, you know, uh, space colonization, you know, man walked on the moon in 1969. And today, you know, man, you know, only 12 men have ever been on the moon. And, and the last one was in uh, 1972 or three, I believe. Um, you know, so, so we've, we've abandoned space, we've abandoned high speed flight. Uh, you know, in the U.S., uh, we don't have high-speed rail. Um, you know, we don't we don't have uh, nuclear fusion. Uh, we don't have you know clean energy too cheap to meter. And more generally, we don't have um, you know we're, we're we're living a little bit longer. But, but we're health, not, we haven't had that. Uh, but, big, yeah, I was going to say health. Leap. Health. Um, I mean, we had health, wars yeah. on cancer, and I'm sure, I, I don't know what the expectations for longevity were yeah. 50 years ago. But I bet they were more. Uh, ambitious than what we've achieved. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so I mean, lifespan has been ticking up, which is which is great. Um, but, uh, but you know, it hasn't it hasn't had that that major uh, leap forward. It hasn't been a huge breakthrough. And 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 by the way, I mean, the other thing about health is that we're spending more and more money to get that. Um, so, so we're spending eighteen percent of GDP on on healthcare, and uh, you know, uh, that's that's not it's not obvious that it's 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 major progress. So if I was to think like, you know, so, so what happened, I guess I could, you know, I guess sort of the, the market loving person side me would say, oh, you know, we've just, we, it's regulation. We've just created all these regulatory barriers and barriers, and they just were like a, a wet suffocating blanket on, on America's technological ambition. And, uh, you know, and that, and that we just, and that, that's, that's the, that's the big reason Someone else, they might say, well, somehow it was, you know, the Vietnam War and then people just became disillusioned. And I, I don't know. What, do you have a do you have a unified theory or do you have any idea of what happened? I, I think it's a, I think it's a combination of like regulatory and cultural. But, um, you know, in, in my role, I focus mostly on the regulatory stuff. So, um, you know, I've been I've been focused on, you know, some of the regulatory changes that have have occurred since around 1970, uh, and and you know one of them that I've I've been focusing uh, particularly a lot on is the National Environmental Policy Act uh, of 1969, which took effect January 1st, 1970. Um, you know, it coincides nicely with uh, with uh, you know what we call the Great Stagnation, which you know uh, Tyler Cowen has has pinned at starting in 1973, um, but. You know, I think uh, NEPA, as it's called, is is a major reason why we don't have you know better infrastructure, um, and 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 why the federal government has been unable to be you know effective in in uh, sort of expanding um, sort of major works um, that could that could really advance uh, humanity. Can you give an example of like something you think we would have, but not for NEPA? Yeah. So I mean, I give you a perfect example. So so right now. Uh, you've heard of the boring company. It's Elon Musk's like tunneling side project. Uh, they are working yes. on a, uh, a tunnel between DC and, or they're developing a tunnel between DC and Baltimore, which would connect the two cities, you know, still not the, the full on hyperloop uh, type concept, but they're, they're talking about doing it at a 150 miles an hour. Um, and that project right now is, is uh, in environmental review. Uh, and, and, you know, who knows how long that's going to take, but, uh, it's, you know, they, they, they've developed a 500 page, uh, environmental assessment to see if, uh, you know, to, you know, which ultimately will determine whether they have to do a, um, environment, a further environmental review and other environmental impact statements. So, so like they would be digging that right now, if they, if not for NEPA and we might, you know, well, it might be, uh, clearly a, a lot better, uh, a, a lot, a lot more advanced than that. Why do you think, I mean, it's, I mean, that's been a, it's been a half a century. Why would we not fix that if people thought that was a problem? And they may not know about that, but I think there's a general idea that there's a lot of regulations, whether they're environmental or otherwise, that make it hard to build things, you know, at a, you know, uh, you know, inexpensively or to get them done, you know, in a reasonable amount of time. I think there's a general sense that whatever the problems are, that might be one of them. So why is it right. still a significant problem after a half a century? You know, I, it's a great question. I think that there is, um, 
there's uh, this is where maybe the cultural problems uh, start to seep in. I think there's a, a little bit of a lack of imagination and lack of excitement and and more um, more of like a fear based like keeping what we have uh, nimbyism mentality rather than approaching it from a position of of confidence and strength and and saying well I'm excited about you know about change and about the future. Um, so how I mean how. I mean, and, and I know you're not a cultural historian, <laughs> but as someone who's, who's interested in this and, and yeah. is probably disappointed that things aren't moving faster. I mean, how is this even possible given, I mean, we're, we're society, you know, kind of soaked in, you know, in science fiction and at the exact same time we had NEPA, we, we started to have an explosion of movies, uh, you know, about the future, far more science fiction films and TV shows ever before. I, I would think that that would, at some level, make us hungry for change, hungry to like, boy, I mean, I, we would, you know, why can't we have starships? We would be moving faster that the culture would somehow be supporting a more ambitious uh, kind of future-oriented society rather, but it seems to be just the opposite. I mean, it's very hard for me to figure out how those two things go together. Well, I think it's a couple of things. So, for, so first of all, science fiction, you and I like science fiction, but, uh, but it, it does, it is still like a niche uh, genre and not everybody uh, loves it. Uh, and the other thing with, which, it, which is interesting with science fiction is that uh, most American science fiction these days is a little bit dystopian, right? It's not, it's not um, these fantastic worlds and then there, there's just, you know, plain normal human stories um, going on in them. It is much more, here's how it went wrong, right? Here's, 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 um, here's how the, the, the technology itself goes wrong. And I think, uh, you know, this is one area where you know maybe Chinese science fiction is, is doing a little better uh, with the you know maybe the the, the three body problem. It's, it's like more ambitious uh, storytelling in in the future. Right. I, I think of uh, like the science fiction when I was growing up, and I'll tend to be pretty pessimistic. Certainly in the seventies, a lot of pessimism. They had movies like Soylent Green and you know Planet right. of the Apes. There yeah. was a lot of pop- and then they had Blade Runner in the early eighties. Things sort of picked up a little. We had Back to the Future at some point. Back to Future 2 was about, you know, a future, a little more optimistic. Um, so maybe it sort of, uh, maybe it sort of comes and, uh, it comes and goes. I'm not sure what sort of period uh, we're in now. But now sort of kind of looking forward, you know, who, who you know, where is that sort of optimistic, optimistic vision? I know you've, uh, you've, uh, you've seen and probably written about it. Uh, you know, there's an essay by Mark Andreessen, the venture capitalist. Sure, saying that yeah. you know we need that now we need now listen now we need to do it now we need to start building things now we need that all these problems we you know we, we you know with a pandemic it's going to be harder to grow in the future now we have to start uh solving problems and creating the kind of future uh we want what would you take from that essay and of course we'll, we'll we'll link to it on the site well i thought that that essay was what did you think? Uh, i think it was yeah. great I, I i i love mark i love mark um i think uh it was, you know, it was, it was kind of like a rallying cry, uh, and and it was, it was um, trying to get uh, a, a lot of people on board. Uh, you know, what it didn't offer was a lot of detailed solutions because I think once you start offering the detailed solutions, people people start, uh, you know, second guessing it. So so I, I I think it was a good start, um, and I think it's I think it's it's sort of like you know Mark picking up uh, sort of the the stuff that uh, you know Peter Thiel and and you know. Elon Musk and, and so on have been have been saying, you know, we need to do these these bigger things, um, and and so I'm I'm glad Mark is doing that, and and I think uh, people should should join that uh, you know that sort of cultural movement that he's trying to build, 
Um, but at some point, it's gonna it's gonna get into nitty gritty stuff like uh, you know how, how do we reform NEPA or how do we reform these other regulations that are that are uh, potentially um, you know blocking progress. And right, a lot of detail. Right, I mean there weren't a lot of details like that. The the one could glean that he's that he thought perhaps uh, regulations that made it hard to build, uh, whether it was big infrastructure projects or perhaps you know difficult to build housing and you know kind of sure. high productivity cities that that was that was uh the issue um that that was part of the problem i you know again he was all vague in spots um and i know but one thing i i i sense that maybe he was suggesting and this kind of gets back to kind of where me where things went wrong do you think whatever the problem is with we're not where you would like us to be um that it isn't just sort of you know government doing bad things like regulations that slow growth and slow building and make it more expensive but they didn't do sort of the good things they're supposed to to what extent do you think you know if we just yeah. spent a lot more on science funding that would have been a that would have made a big difference or yeah or I, I, so I, I that think money that's... wasted and we it really wouldn't have made a big difference well i think like a, a great example um one that i've looked into recently is like nasa funding so if you um you know, NASA has spent, uh, you know, some some effort over the last few decades to build this this burgeoning uh, commercial space industry with with Blue Origin and and SpaceX and a bunch of uh, a bunch of smaller companies that are that are um, also uh, very much involved. So so they've they've invested uh, this this energy in, in building up this industry, but then when they go to give out big contracts, uh, you know, a lot of times what happens is you know, Congress comes in and they say, well, you have to use um, the this Boeing rocket because it is assembled in my state. So so in particular, I'm thinking about the, the space launch system, which is a, uh, you know, a, a, a huge rocket um, was designed by designed and built by Boeing. And it's manufactured in Alabama and appropriations uh, chairman Richard Shelby, um, you know, uh, wants that rocket to be used. And it's it's something like you know, 20 to 30 to 50 X the cost of, of what it would cost uh, NASA to do it, um, uh, you know, via commercial rocket. So it's, it, <laughs> it, it, we're not, we're not getting the, you know, we're not getting the, uh, the benefits there. And so when you wonder like, well, we are spending all this money on space and we're not getting very much out of it. Well, yes, it's, it's, we're affirmatively, um, we're doing, um, we're sort of blocking the right the right action. Like we're we're kind of like going through the motions of like having a space program, which I think is good, but um, but we're not really trying to make it efficient. We're we're using it for uh, for other political purposes. Uh, I don't know. Maybe half a year a year ago, we had on Jonathan Gruber, who wrote a book called Jumpstart with Simon Johnson, saying that we we should we should, we need to spend. Perhaps we don't need to spend on research like we did during the space program, but we should basically like double our science investment, and they would have try to create these little. Kind of science hubs all around the country. Whether or not you think we should try to create little science cities uh, across America, is doing something like that like would that be a good idea? Just let, you know, let's just double basic research. Geez, we're spending money and everything else right now, so let's double basic research funding and see how that works. Would, would that be, you think that'd be a waste of money, or maybe worth something trying? It might be worth trying, but I but I I would say we also need to re reform sort of our research institutions. So so if you take something like the NIH. Uh, which has a, a very long grant cycle, you know, eight months or, or more. And, and you, you look at um, how the principal investigators in these labs are actually spending their time. They're spending half their time applying for grants. 
right? So, so the productivity of, of the, the you know, most senior guy in the lab uh, is cut in half because, uh, because of the way that the, the grants are given out. So, um, so we need to look at like, you know, new methods of funding and, um, and, and new, um, you know, so new institutional protections, maybe like for NASA, like make, maybe insulate them a little bit from congressional uh, direction and so on. But finding, finding ways to make that the existing research funding go farther um, on top of, you know, plussing up the research budgets, I think is, is probably the right approach. Do you think, um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in sort of why things have not worked out the way that, you know, maybe I envisioned when I was a kid. Do you think that skepticism about what government can do has played a role? I, I think about, I'm not sure, uh, I think about uh, these reports, you know, reports would come out criticizing uh, government research spending. Like, oh, look, they're spending the money, all these silly all these silly projects and we you know we we don't know where they'll ever lead you know that kind of thing whether it's general skepticism about big government or big government science do you think any of sort of that anti-government feeling that started the 80s you know played a role in which we just don't try to do big things that could be i mean there i've I've seen those stories too that it's like it you know we're spending three hundred thousand dollars studying the mating habits of these worms right and, and 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 that's like completely divorced from maybe like the actual justification for, for me, you know, maybe there is something to learn from, from that, uh, that study. Um, I, you know, I, I think, uh, I think that that's, I don't want, listen, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you a little bit. I don't want to think that's true because, right. you know, you know, I, I, I like limited government and I don't want to think that like, you know, that sort of the, you know, the Reagan revolution, the eighties is that's, that has played any role in like why we don't have flying cars and, and granted, you know, people, you know, I think Reagan had big, big ideas. Star Wars was a big idea. But I, I, yeah. I, do, wonder, I do I do wonder if it, in some ways it has sort of perpetuated this idea that, um, that you know, big government just, you know, maybe maybe they did the Manhattan Project and Apollo, uh, but that's now we're done. Now we can't do big things. Anymore. Yeah, no, but I, I think that there is something uh, fundamentally different about these, like, small dollar research projects um, versus actual, like, big mega projects right so so um even if even if uh people are are skeptical about you know this 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 tiny project that they don't know anything about i think that's more of a novelty and 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 maybe it's not healthy but it's i i can't i don't see like a, a direct path from there to to you know that that's major stagnation i think we're not even trying to do the big mega projects though right we're, we're um you know i think about something like um like Eisenhower's uh, interstate highway system, and and what's what's the the analog that we're trying to do today? It's like a you know fifty mile high speed rail project in California, right? Because we've given up on on San Francisco to L A. Um, and and it, and it's certainly not a nationwide hyperloop network, right? And and I think I think if somebody were to propose you know that that true uh truly innovative uh nationwide hyperloop network you know i think I, I don't think that the response would necessarily be like um you know you know this is this is silly right it would be it would be you know it might be it's too expensive uh it might be it's too theoretical um but it but it probably wouldn't be the same reaction as as you know the mating habits of worms right so when I, you know, when I, when I read stories about people, you know, they worry about automation or 
we're worried about technological change. I think it's very easy for people to see the downsides of technology. And so maybe some of this is also because of films and how they how they show these very dreary futures and you know AI kills all of us. Um, I think people don't have a very good idea of like how it works out. Like, you know, how, how our lives could be better, what big projects, how that would make our lives better. I mean, so what, what would be an optimistic story if we decide that, yeah, we want to, you know, we want to invest in science and we want to do big things and we want to, you know, embrace technological change. I mean, what, I mean, what is sort of the good news story that you can tell people to get them excited about, about technological progress, especially when you have all these people saying, you know, we need to, you know, we need to, you know, go back to Walton Pond or something because technology just ruins <laughs> progress, just ruins the environment. So, you know, what's what's the optimistic story you can tell people? Yeah. So, I mean, what I what I what I, I think I will, so I'll tell an optimistic story, but I'll start from a pessimistic story, right? What what haven't we done, right? It's I I, I keep coming back to four sectors in the economy. So it's it's health, housing, energy, and transportation. So, uh, and those are, you know, combined, you know, they're, they're close to 50% of GDP. They're something like 60% of household budgets. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, imagine, you know, in health that, um, that, you know, we, we put a lot of research dollars into anti-aging, uh, research, right. Or understanding biological aging, making treatments that, that reverse aging. Um, at, at the, you know, at the same time, you know, we, we have, uh, diagnostic grade wearables um, on, you know, your, your Apple watch can tell a lot more about you than it, than it can tell today. And, and, and so you, you remove the, you know, sort of people from the loop, right? You, you automate a lot more uh, routine medical care. Um, you know, that, that story where, where you're living longer, you're living, you're aging more healthily and you don't, you know, you, you eventually just, you know, drop dead someday, uh, maybe far off in the future. Um, and, uh, but you don't have a lot of like chronic age related diseases and you probably don't need to go to the doctor that often because, um, cause if, if something's wrong with you, your, your watch catches it, uh, very quickly. Um, you know, that you're spending in that scenario, you're spending much less than 18% of GDP, uh, on, on healthcare and you're living a lot longer, you're getting better results for it. Um, and, and that's, you know, that, that savings is. More, more time and money to spend on other things, right? Um, and, and on housing, you know, we need to fix NIMBYism. We need to fix, um, you know, sort of figure out why we why we aren't manufacturing housing and why, why we're building bespoke houses every time we build a house, right? Um, and, you know, housing is is something like 16% of GDP when you, when you put both imputed value plus construction together. Uh, energy, like we should be going for clean energy to cheap to meter. We've had a lot of progress in solar and wind, uh, not so much on, on baseload energy. Um, we need, you know, next generation nuclear and geothermal uh, to to you know drive the both the, the cost and the and the carbon footprint of of electricity down, um, and you know electrify all the things, right? So so vehicles right, right. And, and and so on, uh, and then and then in transportation, uh, you know, more generally, you know, uh, I think I think autonomy, uh, not just not just in cars, which is is technically you know regulatorily like there's there's a path but but technically it's hard uh but also aircraft which is technically easy but like regulatorily hard uh so but uh, autonomy for for uh not only cars but also drones and and you know sort of like the ev toll flying taxis uh and eventually airliners as well uh 
a lot of speed in transportation. Uh, so, so faster airplanes and, and, and faster, you know, you know, high-speed rail, but maybe even Hyperloop, uh, and, and, um, commercial space, you know, unlocking sort of the, the next frontier. I think if you did, if you did all of those things, that's a pretty cool future to me. And that's, that's one where everyone, you know, sort of automatically because of the innovation there is going to have something like twice the amount of money. Um, twice the amount of budget to spend, and they're going to be able to get anywhere on the planet for you know within four hours for a hundred dollars, anywhere within the city in you know five minutes for two dollars. They're going to live uh, you know to 120 and not be uh, not have that age-related frailty uh, and illness. The housing is going to be you know amazing and cheap, uh, and and you know the environment's going to do all right because uh, because we've we've unlocked clean energy. Like that to me is a great future, and and that's you know I think you do have to sort of parcel it out that way and think about those four sectors. And as you sort of wrap up, do you think this pandemic makes that kind of future? more or less likely. I can sort of go either way. I can certainly see, you know, kind of this deep pessimism um, affecting society that, you know, we just can't do things. We can't, can't get control of this virus very fast. And, you know, and just, you know, we, you know, and it can have all these kind of follow-on effects. So oh, we better not let immigrants in the country. We should stop trading. Really kind of this drawbridge of mentality. Or I can see it saying, saying we, we can't waste any time. We can't waste time with bad regulations. We can't waste time by not doing the kind of you know science research we need to spend more on that and you know full speed ahead how do you think it plays out yeah i think i think it's i think it's a mixed bag uh you know all of what you said there's uh, you know rings true um you know i think one area that maybe uh where we could see some benefits is a lot of health regulation um seeing uh the you know making very visible the harms that are uh you know sort of precautionary mentality on on you know, health regulation has, 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 you know, has caused that's, I mean, like the reason the, to be perfectly clear, the reason why we had a, a, a testing rollout mishap was because of uh, FDA and CDC trying to control the, you know, control the whole uh, testing regime. Um, so, so in part seeing that, but in part, I think also there's going to be a lot more uh, interest in, in biotech and in understanding uh, the biology of viruses and, and, um, you know that that can lead to to medical breakthroughs as well. So uh, you know, so probably you know if there if there's a benefit, it's on the biotech side, um, and and uh, you know maybe uh, maybe a little bit like in sort of like culturally making people a little less complacent. Um, but but I you know I the performance has been uh, you know by by the government has been pretty bad, uh, and it, it does make me worry about uh, you know other disasters. I you know I think. Uh, on a scale of of one to ten, this is a, like a three, right? In terms of how bad it could be, um, and so so if we get to you know something a lot worse, then uh, you know it, it does make me worry. My guest today has been Eli Dorado. Eli, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jim. Mm-hmm.